You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I'm your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we don't have a lot of time for messing around. We have a lot to get to here. Um, and um, everybody's really excited to talk about the Green Bay Packers and the training camp. So we're going to talk about that, obviously. Usually what I do is I'll start with... NFL news slash NFC North news, and then kind of launch into what we're doing. But there's kind of a large amount of news coming outside of the Green Bay Packers. And I don't want to spend, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, first day back, training camp and all that stuff. And I spend 20 minutes, half hour, whatever, talking about Bears, Vikings, Lions, and whoever else. So I'll save that until the end. And those of you that are not interested in it can just bail when we're done talking about the Packers, I guess. First of all, uh, we might as well start with the press conferences from Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur. Lots and lots of questions about David Bakhtiari. Got to the point that when I was listening to Matt LaFleur's press conference, I just skipped all of them because it's like I've heard the answer nine times now. I don't need to hear it anymore. But the, the general consensus on David Bakhtiari is that it was a much more significant injury than an ACL injury. And we, we kind of heard that. I think I said it yesterday, actually. But David Bakhtiari later on actually kind of illuminated that and said, basically, the ACL thing has been resolved for a very long time. And so to kind of highlight what I was talking about yesterday, the day before, whenever, actually it was Packernet after dark last night, I guess, talking about why are people concerned about David Bakhtiari and not Elton Jenkins if they miss similar amounts of games. And my, my answer was because David Bakhtiari is so far beyond his timetable that may not be necessarily the case because what we're saying is here's the timetable for an ACL healing or healing of an ACL. We're well past that, but that's unfair because his ACL has been repaired for a very long time. There are other issues at play here. Now, that, that, that not necessarily comforting because at the end of the day, it's still an issue, but it's not true that the one issue that we thought was going to be resolved a long time ago that should have been resolved a long time ago isn't. And so uh, there was also mention that another procedure was done. I think David Bakhtiari mentioned that it was around the time they started OTAs, um, probably because he came back and things were not quite where they needed to be. And they said, we're going to do another operation is essentially what it was. Operation, procedure, whatever. I I don't know. But they did something. And so him being out right now is a result of that procedure. Now, the positive way to look at this is, because this is kind of the same thing with Christian Watson. The positive way to look at this is it's entirely possible that had they not done that procedure, he maybe could have played and would very likely be in training camp right now. And maybe what they decided to do was they, they asked the question, should we deal with this now or should we just kind of roll the dice and, and assume that it's good enough? And they decided, you know what, let's do it right. If we assume that the timetable is that he'll be back 
in the next, you know, week or two, well, I shouldn't say, I mean, week or two from now, then, then we might as well pull the trigger. It's more important than we get a, that we get 100% David Bakhtiari by week one than it is that we, you know, have him all the way through training camp with this slight possible issue. I don't know that to be the case. I'm just saying that's possible. And it, it kind of illuminates another question that I got. I think it was Packernet After Dark also. Maybe the same question? I don't know. But it was something to the effect of or why... Oh, no, it was, it was the, the optimists when we got the David Bakhtiari news were saying it's absurd to think that he wouldn't be back in the next couple of weeks. And my thought is, it's kind of absurd to think it will be the next couple of weeks because it's been how many weeks so far. But we're not dealing with the initial injury. We're dealing with a procedure that was done a couple of weeks ago that has a return timetable of presumably in the next few weeks. Now, the question is, kind of, is it... <sighs> How long is it going to take for him to return from that procedure? And then what are the odds that it's actually going to be 100% just done now? Because I think the biggest concern, the biggest concern is that essentially he showed up and again, it's still not healed. You know what I mean? We, we, we did a procedure, time went by, we still got issues. We did a procedure, time went by, we still got issues. This is now another procedure, time is going to go by, you know what I mean? So it, it kind of depends what specifically is going on. It, it, I'm leaning toward the latter, that it's, you know, it's just not working. It's just not, and you know, I mean, I don't know how many times you can cut open a knee before it becomes kind of an issue. You know what I mean? But I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But the ACL is strong. He's recovering from a procedure that took place just a few weeks ago and um, should be back at some point. I don't, I don't know if that means week one. I don't know what that means. But that's, that's the majority of what I got out of the uh, discussions revolving around David Bakhtiar. He actually started off his presser. Dean Lowry and Pitt, Patrick Taylor were taking off of Pup, so that was kind of cool. Be some fun insights about defensive tackle as well as running back because with Patrick Taylor there, now it's it's a little bit of a more interesting competition. It's not just the two new guys being handed a job. Um, also, Khalif Bryce and Caleb Jones were taken off of the NFI, the non-football injury list, although Khalif I believe, was released off the team after practice. So, by the way, Brian Gutekunst on the David Bakhtiari thing said there is no concern whatsoever that David Bakhtiari will be done as far as his career is done. Now, I know it's possible that he's just saying that, but, you know, I I went back and I suffered through listening to the press conferences, even though I didn't really need to because, you know, the, the media folks take the notes for you. But I wanted to hear some of this stuff myself, and that was one of those situations where, he absolutely, not, not that he couldn't be wrong, but his current understanding of the situation is that he absolutely will be back and he will be healthy. There was no question based on the tone of his voice and how quickly he answered that. There was no wavering or waffling or anything. He hit that immediately. As far as Elton Jenkins' injury, um, he made the note that Elton Jenkins is ahead of schedule. He looks really good. There are plenty of videos about, uh, of him working out out there. Um, he's going through, it's not even so much he looks good. I'm not going to go into he looks good because it doesn't necessarily mean anything that he looks good. David Bakhtiari looked pretty good. Um, honestly, I thought he looked a little gimpy, but maybe it's just because he's got a knee brace on, kind of makes him run weird. But um, the, the biggest thing for me, though, is what drills are they putting him through? You know, because if it's him kind of just jogging around or doing some light things, that's something. They're letting him put weight on it, but it's, you know, it's still a limit. But some of the high intensity drills he was going through and and forcing him to kind of push off of that leg at least give you the impression that he's he's pretty far along now i'm guessing the situation this will be something to keep track of for tomorrow or today is he out there again 
um, because you know that that's probably part of the process is to run him through the paces and see how his knee responds. And so he's going to go sit in his ice bath and deal with the trainers and everything else and see if there's any soreness, if there's any swelling, if there's any pain whatsoever, he's probably not going to be out there. Not necessarily a reason to panic if that is the case. They're just saying, okay, we, we can't quite take it to that um, extent. Let's give him a day. Uh, but if he's out there again, then that means they put him under all that strain and he's perfectly fine and he can continue practicing at that level. Talked about Alan Lazard um, in terms of their comfort with him. I thought it was interesting he used the phrasing that they're excited to see Lazard in his new role. And I I think most people just kind of ran with that as well. That's his new role as like the number one wide receiver. First of all, just glossing over that as though that was an assumed thing. Um, They see him as a different wide receiver now. And couple that with the notes that he's been trimmed down It's interesting, but it also makes me nervous because it seems to me as though the Packers have gone all in on making him the number one wide receiver. And as a result, you know, they ask him to trim down, which means he's going to be doing less of what he was doing before. And it scares me because if he's not a super great number one wide receiver necessarily, and again, I'm talking not just in terms of volume, but in terms of function, what the number one is asked to do, your X receiver or however you want to put it, if he's not necessarily great at that, then we don't get a great X receiver. We get a subpar number one receiver, and we don't have an Alan Lazard anymore. The interesting thing that's just occurring to me now is that Christian Watson um, is actually one of the best run-blocking wide receivers in football. I kind of wonder if he's going to be the next Alan Lazard in kind of a weird twist. Um, I, I do kind of wonder about that. Not as though Alan Lazard, all he did was block guys and, you know, block for wide receiver screens, but it's it's exciting, but it makes me nervous at the same time. And that's not to say they won't make a change if and when things happen, but um, it just, it feels more definitive. Whereas we've been talking about this very fluid situation of who knows, they're all just going to go out there, run routes, and then the best, may the best man win. But um, Gutekunst flat out came out and is like, we're excited to see him in his new role as though this is just what it is. And it's not really debatable. We have seen the guy, we know that he's ready, and we're going to put him into that that role, is 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 the impression that I got from it. Um, asked about bringing in wide receivers, he essentially said, we're comfortable with the room that we have. It's way too early to be making determinations. Essentially, what he's saying is, first of all, there's not a lot of guys out there that we want. Talking about wide receiver, but just in general. But also saying, we don't know who we want to bring in because we don't know what we need yet. We want to give the guys that are here the opportunity to fill those roles. And he specifically mentioned that when talking about wide receiver. And he also specifically said the young guys, assumingly talking about the rookies. So again, I just found it interesting because my thought is the starting wide receivers are Alan Lazard, Sammy Watkins, and Randall Cobb. What role are you worried about the young guys filling before you decide we need to go out and get free agent wide receivers? I suppose it's possible he's saying, you know, we, we need additional depth. Like we've we've got our three and we need more than three. And it's possible that um, Amari is terrible. Christian Watson is horrible. Romeo Dobbs is terrible. And they're so bad that we need a new number four. But you know what I mean? It just, it seems like a weird, weird thing to say before we decide if we're ready to go out and get another wide receiver. We want to see if the young guys can fill that. I I guess what I'm thinking of is, is there a role that they're wanting to see, let's say for the starting three jobs or two wide receiver, one or two, is there, is there a wide open job that you're expecting a rookie to fill? 
In other words, if we're being super specific, are we just saying, I want to see if Christian Watson can be that number two wide receiver, and if not, and assuming Dobbs can't do it, and, you know, I don't know if we can trust Sammy or whatever the situation is. Again, it's weird that he mentioned the young guys. Is that the situation where we go out and get somebody else? But we need to see Dobbs and Christian Watson first to see if they can fill that number two job. Again, it's just it's one of those things that it doesn't quite compute what he meant. Uh, talking about Sammy Watkins and his injury, he was placed on PUP. He said it will be a very short-term thing. Christian Watson, who also ended up on PUP, he said it'll be short-term. It sounds like there was a, a minor operation done. Actually, maybe it was Christian Watson that had the operation around training camp. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But, and we'll get to the note later. I think it was while talking to Lafleur. I get the impression this is not going to be a short-term thing. I don't, based on what Matt Lafleur was saying, I kind of get the impression he may not be playing the entire offseason. We may not see him for the preseason. And and again, first of all, noting very clearly, um, Sammy Watkins is a short-term thing. Christian Watson, he also says will be short-term, but there was a very big difference between the two when being described. Sammy will be very short-term. Christian is sort of a, we don't really anticipate, we don't really know, but it's going to be longer than Sammy Watkins. We know that for sure. Um, I also didn't really see any drills. Maybe he was, but I didn't see Christian doing anything, any of those kind of serious drills. I saw one video of him and he was kind of just not moving very much. He's kind of off to the side working with other wide receivers, kind of learning how to do things, but he wasn't pushing off his leg or anything like that. Um, He went on to mention that a lot of the guys that were brought in it had to do with how many people were put on PUP, so it's not necessarily these are the next best guys that were on our list and we're just shuffling the bottom of the roster. This is we don't have enough guys to practice with, at least at certain positions, and we're worried about depth at certain positions, et cetera, et cetera. So we brought certain people at certain positions in. Now, granted, it's still going to be guys that you want to watch or want to see, but it was more about we just need enough bodies to go through training than maybe a realistic um, shot for any of those guys. Um, and then again, the the wide receiver thing saying they really don't feel... So of the wide receivers that are available, he seemed to make it um, clear that he's not interested. So talking about like OBJ, for example, saying that there's really nobody out there that they like. I'm assuming that would also be a, a, the case for Julio Jones. Again, he had made the comment that there's really nobody that they're interested in and they're not looking to add any wide receivers right now. But he did say that they would reevaluate that at cutdown time because that's another kind of exciting time where teams have to make tough cuts. And, you know, you look at it from the Packers standpoint and say, man, tough, you know, cutdown's a tough time because you don't want to let this guy go because they're going to get snagged up somewhere else. Well, other teams, you know, there's 31 other teams that have to make tough decisions. And those, some of those tough decisions might be teams with stacked wide receiver rooms letting wide receivers go that the Packers maybe like and maybe think could come contribute or defensive tackles, or edge rushers, or safeties, or whatever. So that was the conclusion of what I got from uh, Gutekunst. Matt LaFleur significantly left, note, left less notes because partially I was just really getting tired of sitting there and listening to all of it, and a lot of it was repetitive and whatnot. But um, his quote on Christian Watson that I was mentioning, he said, not having Christian is going to be a challenge. And he was talking about how important the, the reps are and um, working with Aaron Rodgers. And he said, it's going to be a challenge for Christian Watson because of how valuable training camp and preseason reps are. Let's do this in reverse. Why would that be a challenge if he's going to be in preseason? And if he's going to be back soon, this week, next week, whatever. I mean, Matt LaFleur kind of, in my opinion, just showed his hand, saying it's going to be a challenge 
for Christian Watson. And he said, we, we, you know, you've got the meetings and, you know, we can kind of gauge how much you're understanding based on, you know, what, what we hear in the meeting rooms and all that stuff, but you can't really replace the, the snaps that you get on the, on the field. And it's going to be tough because preseason games and training camp uh, practices are valuable. Again, why bring it up if he's going to be back soon? Why even mention that, especially preseason? So it really gave me the impression that this may be a little bit more long-term. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he misspoke. Maybe I misunderstood. But again, I don't know why that sentence would be said if he's going to be back soon. Maybe he was just explaining, you know, these snaps are important. And he just kind of rattled off, like, you know, the snaps that you get here and in preseason and stuff are, are valuable. So not having them is important. Just as a category, they're important. And every day that he's out, it's, it's going to be kind of rough. Maybe. But it's kind of a reach. Um, talking about Bisaccia, he says that he's learned more about special teams than he ever has in those meeting rooms, which is really all I wanted to hear. You know, I mean, just that's the whole point of this is you, you've got, as far as competence, it's a 10 out of 10. As far as getting somebody in the room that understands special teams at a deep, deep level and can help everybody else understand, not just your players, but your head coach. And also working with the other special teams coordinators that you have. You know, maybe Rich gets hired off somewhere else sometime in the near future, or maybe he ends up getting a head coaching job somewhere in the near future. I mean, if the Packers special teams is a top five special teams unit, you better believe he's going to be considered again for a head coaching job. And it'll be great to have guys in the room that trained with him. And then the quote of the day, and I don't know why, because I don't find it all that interesting, but with no expectations come no limitations. And it's been very widely misquoted as with no expectations come no expectations, which that part I get. It's a little bit more uh, gloomy, but it makes sense. But that's not what he said. He said, with no expectations come no limitations. Kind of when being asked a million times about when is this guy coming back? When is he coming back? When is he coming back? He's like, look, I don't know. I don't have, I don't keep track of timetables and I don't have any expectations. And it's just kind of a, a glass half full look at what you usually say, which is, you know, if you don't have expectations, you can't be let down kind of thing. He's looking at it and saying, hey, if, as long as we don't have any expectation, then we can believe whatever we want to believe. It's cheesy and stupid, but everyone's all geeked out about his quote. So there you go. There's this quote. Go ahead and uh, put that on a plaque and hang it in your kitchen. A uh, list of people that did not practice. Mason Crosby, Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins, Keyshawn Nixon, Kylan Hill, Jonathan Garvin, Randy Ramsey, Rashid Walker, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Robert Tenyon. Malik Taylor, Akeel Byers, and uh, I also put a note in here, LaFleur's answer to Crosby earlier made it sound like he may be out more than a few days. So Crosby also, and I, I, didn't, I didn't even hear that part. I must have just bailed on the whole press conference at that point. But um, sounds like Crosby also, based on what he said, is going to be out for quite a while. So it's kind of unfortunate to have so many people injured and seemingly injured for a long time. And it's like, we have not started. And it's not like they got injured in while they're practicing or anything. It's day one, people show up and it's like, you don't have your left tackle. You don't have your right tackle. You don't have this guy. You don't have that, 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 that. You got a rookie that's out and it sounds like he's going to be out a while. It's like, come on, man, this is stupid. Um, and then finally, some other just general notes on the practice before we get into player by player, position by position notes. The Packers were wearing new Guardian caps, it's called. They're just these big, giant bubble things that they put on their helmets, obviously for extra added protection. Um, first practice was an hour and a half long, hour and 28 to be specific. Um, we'll kind of get into it, but generally speaking, the offense annihilated the defense. 
which um, again, every time you get into this stuff, it's it's like a yay and also a crap thing. On one hand, it's like this offense is way better than anybody said it was going to be. On the other hand, it's like, well, so much for that number one overall defense. Can't stop this hodgepodge of <laughs> wide receivers. We don't have Tunyon. We don't have Devontae. We don't have MVS. We don't have Sammy Watkins. We don't have Christian Watson. Yeah, they're still going out just shredding our defense, so that sucks. But anyways, Aaron Rodgers was getting all uh, braggadocious about it. I think he went up to Stokes and was bragging about, I told you we we're coming for you. P- Packers offense 1-0 against the defense and stuff. So that was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. And then the note for D- David Bakhtiari was the Packers, uh, or his second procedure was about the time the Packers were starting their initial offseason program. So second procedure, and it was around that time. Uh, he says he feels good. He feels normal. So a lot of postseason or uh, locker room interviews that I've got his notes also here. Rogers' quote of the day, by the way, was he had said that it's going to be tough going from one Hall of Famer to the next when asked about going from Devontae to Lazard. That was obviously a shot at Devontae, a playful one, but a shot at Devontae when Devontae had made a comment about going from one Hall of Famer to the next, meaning from Devontae to Carr. So that was actually pretty hilarious. If anything, it was kind of a shot at Carr, and I don't think it was meant to be, but that's kind of what it comes across as. You know, it's Rogers being like, okay, if you're going to be ridiculous and call Carr a Hall of Famer, then I'm going to call Lazard a Hall of Famer. Maybe a shot at Lazard, too. I don't know. It's funny either way. I don't care. But uh, yeah, and then Khalif Bryce was uh, placed on waivers, according to League Source. So um, what should we do here? Still a little early, so we'll we'll get through a couple players and positions, and then we'll kind of take a break and continue, I think. One of the complications always, so there, there may be reading the same notes a couple times, one of the complications is always going to be, and maybe I won't do this going forward, this will just be for my personal notes, I'll go in chronological order from now on. I think I did that last year and it worked, but there's always notes on at least two guys, sometimes three. You know, if Aaron Rodgers throws a pass to Lazard against Adrian Amos, that's three notes. Positive for Rodgers, positive for Lazard, negative for Amos. But I do want to give a player-by-player kind of overview of all the stuff that happened. So as far as Aaron Rodgers, again, the offense in general was was very positive. Rodgers, uh, one of the notes here says, Rodgers looks freaking sharp so far. By the way, uh, I say it every year, but shout out to all the um, the people that are at training camp taking notes. Um, Andy Herman is very well known for firing out a ton of stuff, but you got Aaron Nagler and a bunch of other people that are putting notes together. Some of them should probably stop because it'll be about a half hour after everyone else already told me about a play. They come out and they're like, Devontae made it. It's like, you mean the one from like forever ago? I know you're still rocking a Blackberry, but just maybe just watch and don't tweet because you can't even call it live tweeting at this point. Anyways, shout out to those fellas and ladies. Uh, First big highlight of camp, Rodgers deep bomb down the right side to Winfrey. Perfect placement for Winfrey. Just run under it and pass his defender in the second level. Winfrey, by the way, essentially wide receiver two for the day. Uh, I think Herman made the note, don't read too much into it because there's a ton of fluctuation uh, rotation with the wide receivers, but they did start with Lazard and Winfrey. Now that's not super surprising because if you assume, you know, two wide receiver, Randall's not going to be number two. Um, you got Lazard and Watkins, but Watkins isn't there. You got Christian Watson, but Watson isn't there. Uh, Amari, we're assuming, is a slot guy. So essentially, we're we're looking at it's either going to be Romeo Dobbs, Malik Taylor, or Jawan Winfrey are kind of the three. If you assume that Romeo is a rookie, so they're not going to just rush him into it, it's kind of a question of is it Malik or is it Jawan Winfrey? Well, the very clear answer is Winfrey, and he didn't do himself. He 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 didn't hurt his chances of of um, I don't want to say making the team because he Winfrey is is. Um, he had a good day. We'll leave it at that. Final note I had for Rodgers. Great job staying alive and being ready by Daphne as Rodgers finds him late, rolling to his right, throwing back to the middle of the field. Got to stay ready with 12. 
could come at you at any time, any place on the field. Could be a Daphne note, but point is, it's still, it's good to see all this because when you got great play after great play after great play from Aaron Rodgers, then you got a broken play and he's rolling out. That's when things get a little bit iffy. And for him to be able to kind of keep his eyes downfield and be able to make a great play, you know, it, it, it's nice to see. Uh, Jordan Love actually had some really nice notes today. Uh, I didn't really see anything super negative, if at all. I mean, usually every day for Jordan Love, there's one or two good passes and then one or two just, oh my goodness, what the heck was that type passes. But today it was all mostly positive. Um, impressive play by Love rolling to his left, having to cross his body to hit Davis downfield. Love late to Amari, but he makes a catch with Vernon Scott nearby. Again, minor stuff like late or whatever. Um, Next note says, since he arrived, Matt LaFleur has implored Jordan Love to let it rip out of his hand. He just threw maybe the hardest ball I've seen him to Amari Rodgers. Perfect pass, low over the middle to avoid a hit from a DB. Good catch from Rodgers, but exactly what LaFleur wants from Love. And then the final note on Jordan Love, I have, now that was a nice ball and read from Love. Hit Toure low, but it was exactly where it needed to be. Nice rip from 10. So he, he also got Samori Toure getting mixed in there. But it sounds like, you know, maybe having missed a play here or there, it sounds like Jordan Love had a very good day. Um, and not just a good day in terms of it was an accurate pass, like no overthrows and that's cool. But, you know, specifically things like nice read. You know, he threw it low in a way exactly where it needed to be. Um, he's finally letting it rip something that he had, he, you know, we've been begging him to do just rip the ball, stop lobbing these things, just zing the thing in there. First day back from practice, he's doing what we've been asking him to do for two years. You know, the first play rolling to his left and, and throwing across his body. I mean, the, these are not just stand in the pocket and throw to a guy running in shorts down the field and it catches him. You know, it, it's a slightly accurate pass. These are very specific and and challenging and uh, specific to growth for Jordan Love as well. So it's just day one, but it's it's certainly exactly what you need to see from a guy that you're hoping year three is a turnaround year for him. This is exactly what you wanted to hear and see. Um, offensive line notes, some pretty interesting offensive line things. First of all, the starting offensive line, Yash Nijman, starting left tackle as expected. John Runyon Jr., left guard as expected. Josh Myers, center as expected. But then it was Royce Newman at right tackle and Jake Hansen, the backup center, who is playing right guard. Now, again, if you kind of look at it from the sake of deduction, and I'm upset that I didn't even mention that as an option. I went through my whole, like, what could be surprising, and I didn't even think of that, mostly because I thought they just didn't like Jake Hansen. The guy was really not getting any opportunities at all. But if you're looking at it and saying, what, what are really the options here? Assuming Royce Newman is going to be playing right tackle, I mean, you've got Zach Tom and Sean Ryan, but otherwise there's, there's not a whole lot of options. But um, it was interesting that they started off with that, that they wanted to give him a shot at that. Somebody had made the comment, and maybe, you know, maybe we'll get to it, but that you know, he may fill that perfect sort of Lucas Patrick role. Lucas Patrick, remember, just left and went over to the Chicago Bears. Lucas Patrick was essentially a center that played guard for us, and he had that center flexibility if anything, if anybody went down. For example, when uh, Josh Myers went down, now we can take our guard and slide him over to uh, center. So maybe they really want him to be a thing just so that he gets that experience and he's ready, you know, he's, he's more ready to play when his time comes, if his time comes. Obviously, but the the more important thing is, though, if he wasn't ready for it, they wouldn't put him there. They're not going to force him out just because it sounds nice. I'd like, I'd like to have like a center guard hybrid there. He sucks, but let's put him there. And even if it was a let's just try it thing, you could always do second team. So the, the point I'm making is he's there because he earned it to some extent. 
And then with the second team, again, somewhat surprising, but also when you look at the limited resources, it kind of makes sense. But Cole Van Lannen sliding in at right tackle, which is expected. He was also kind of, he and Newman were sort of the right tackles um, last time we saw. So he's over there at right tackle. They seem to like him there. Hansen then slid into guard or center, excuse me, which makes sense. He is sort of the number two center. So that makes sense. The other three are where it gets a little bit interesting, though. Sean Ryan was the right guard. Zach Tom was the left tackle. And then Michael Minette was the left guard. Now, again, I don't know how many other possibilities it could have been. A lot of people are super jacked up that Zach Tom is the, is the next up left tackle. Yeah, but we're how many tackles deep right now? You know, we got David Bakhtiari. You got Elton Jenkins. You got Yash Nijman. You got Royce Newman. You got Cole Van Lannan, and then you got Zach Tom. So we're at tackle number six by the time we get to Zach Tom. So it's not like, oh, dang, Zach Tom is like going to be a tackle. Well, yeah, by, by the time you get this far down the line, the only slightly interesting thing maybe is that, um, you know, why isn't Sean Ryan being given that opportunity over Zach Tom? Because, again, I think it's function. I, I, I always felt Zach Tom is the more fluid, more athletic, um, more tackle-ish type prospect. That doesn't mean he's going to be a great tackle. It doesn't mean he's any of that stuff. But if you had to pick one guy to be your guard and one guy to be your tackle, I'm putting Tom at tackle and Ryan at guard. And again, it's not because Tom is better. It's just he makes more sense as a tackle. Sean Ryan makes more sense to me as a guard. And even for Manette, I mean, what's his competition? The the only other guys on the team are three guys that were brought in this year. You got uh, George Moore and Cole Schneider, who are undrafted free agents, and Ty Clary was literally just brought in. So there's nobody left. The only guy that's that's been in the NFL prior to, you know, this year is is Michael Minette. So it's basically just shuffling the last remaining players and seeing how they perform, and they're going to continue to shuffle, but that's just kind of how they see it right now. Uh, the only additional note I saw on uh, Royce Newman is more of a Rashawn Gary note, but Gary just destroyed Royce Newman. So <laughs> there's that, which, I mean, you can't even be mad at uh, Royce. I mean, that's, that's just the note I need to see. I don't care if it's Elton Jenkins there. I want to see, I want to see Gary just light him up because I, I, I have best in the NFL aspirations for Rashawn Gary. That's where, that's where my mind's at for that guy. So I don't really care who's across from him. I want to see the note that he beat him. I have no expectation of, oh man, Royce sucks because he didn't stop Rashawn. I mean, come on. Uh, Josh Myers had a errant snap today. Got a note here that says Josh Myers with a shotgun snap to Aaron Rodgers before the quarterback was ready for it. Rodgers caught it, but calmly waved his hands after the play as if to say, settle down, a little amped up on day one. Yeah, and it was Wes Hodkowitz, I have the note here, who was talking about possibly being that Lucas Patrick for um, Jake Hansen. And I, I do love that about the Packers. You know, how many how many backup offensive linemen um, that kind of proved their worth went somewhere else. I mean, you, you got so many guys that have gone on to have great careers at other places that learned to play here. You know, it was the Packers that discovered Lucas Patrick, that molded him and, and made him what he was. And yet when the time comes to move on from a guy like Lucas Patrick, what do they do? Whereas the Bears have to go buy or rent, you know, Packers offensive linemen once they move on, the Packers are creating a brand new one. And they do such a good job with offensive linemen. It's to the point where you look at it and go, yeah, he probably will be a Lucas Patrick. And by the way, Lucas Patrick, I have no issues with him. He's not Josh Sitton, but I don't care. He's fine with me. Um, kind of a trio of notes, but it's we'll start off with the offensive line note uh, under Zach Tom. It says, okay, Tyler Goodson, heck of a cut and some juice. Nice job by Tom and Minette on the blocking. 
So the left side of the offensive line there, obviously doing a good job blocking. Tyler Goodson taking the ball and and running with it. And, it, and we, we do have some interesting running back notes between B.J. Baylor, Tyler Goodson, and, and Patrick Taylor. Kind of, ki- kind of tightening up that um, competition. Again, I know it's day one, but kind of makes you think a little bit. Uh, speaking of, that's up next. General running back notes, some early pony package here at practice. A little read that ends in a handoff to Dylan and a nice gain. Pony package, just two running backs in the backfield. But that's usually how that goes, by the way, is Aaron Jones motions out of the backfield. And they end up handing it off to A.J. Dillon for a pretty nice gain. Occasionally, you throw it to Aaron Jones, though. The other notes, and remember, the, the first note was about, um, about Tyler Goodson. Then we got a note about B.J. Baylor. B.J. Baylor with some juice up the middle on a big run. So Tyler Goodson, rookie, big run. B.J. Baylor, rookie, big run. A.J. Dillon, big run. Patrick Taylor, a guy that I happen to like. Ty Summers just punched the ball out from Patrick Taylor. Defense recovers for the first turnover of camp. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, mean, I like Patrick Taylor, but the Packers obviously didn't like him as much. And I think even after his performance, like I said, with Kylan Hill coming back, I think Kylan Hill is ahead of him. Occasionally you get those guys that for whatever reason, the team just isn't as high on as, you know, maybe, maybe I am, maybe whatever. And so you've got that situation, but then we've also got two rookies coming up that are really showing some promise. It's just two runs, but still, there is that contrast. So if I'm looking at it between the three, how much of a lock do I think Patrick Taylor has on that whatever job he has, RB4? Not a real strong one. And he certainly didn't do himself any favors in in taking the RB3 job, which is kind of wide open because Kylan Hill can't even get back to health. But why don't we just take a break here, and then we got wide receiver, tight end, defense, and then some notes around the uh, NFC North and whatnot. But patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you want to call in, please do, 608 Let me know your thoughts on training camp or whatever you feel like talking about. Otherwise, we will take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wide receiver notes, uh, Lazard is looking lean. Already talked about that, but it looks, sounds like he trimmed down. Uh, Malik Taylor was over with the rehab group. Didn't think he had any kind of injury designation, but there you go. As I mentioned, starting wide receiver one and two is Winfrey and Lazard. Again, largely because of injuries, especially with Malik Taylor sitting off with the training staff, but still a good sign for Winfrey, especially after he went out and did what he did. Uh, notes on Lazard. You got Rodgers to the Lazard with Stokes in coverage. Lazard looking fit. And holy bleep, uh, what a catch from Lazard downfield against Amos. Rodgers put one up deep for grabs, and Lazard skied and held on after coming down hard. These wide receivers are impressing early. There were a couple plays like that where it was... It, you got the impression that these wide receivers are really, really sick of hearing how much they suck. Because it wasn't just like they went out and did their job. It was like there were some 50-50 balls, and these guys were not messing around, like fighting for these balls. Uh, Juwan Winfrey, same play, but different note. First big highlight of camp on offense, Rodgers deep bomb down the right side to Winfrey. Perfect placement for Winfrey to just run under it and pass the defender at the second level. I already touched on the Amari catch from Love. That was the only one for him for the day. Christian Watson, I mentioned he was off to the side working with guys and whatnot. Notes for Romeo Dobbs says Romeo Dobbs just mossed KB and Ento on a jump ball from Etling. Very big wow play from 87. So again, not just he caught the pass. The ball was essentially about to be intercepted from KB and Ento. Romeo Dobbs went up and said, nope, that's mine. Second note comes in. It's more of a Stokes note, but still Stokes does a great job using the sideline as his help. Just stayed in Dobbs's pocket down the field. Great coverage. So one positive and one, I guess, kind of negative. But still, uh, Romeo Dobbs seemingly had a really good day today, um, just like he did earlier on in, um, in OTAs. So continuing and using those opportunities with a lot of people being out to, to continue to impress. Uh, Wisconsin Badger Danny Davis even got in on the action. First team period of camp ends with Danny Davis going vertical to make a nice catch on a PA play action rollout from Love. And then finally, Samori Ture with a catch from Danny Etling. Probably should have bro- been broken up by KB and Ento. The only notes from Ento today were negative. <laughs> should have been broken up, uh, but wasn't. Should have been picked, but got absolutely robbed by a guy that was behind him. So, whatever. Uh, the tight ends, one and two of the day, were uh, Lewis and Davis. Mercedes Lewis and Tyler Davis. Again, I don't really know how you quantify one and two necessarily, but I'm not super worried about it. Uh, Tyler Davis, I believe, is stepping into the Robert Tunyon role. So as a result, he is Robert Tunyon. Mercedes Lewis is Mercedes Lewis. Josiah DeGuara is Josiah DeGuara. They're three different styles of, of tight end. In other words, I, I, no matter how good Josiah DeGuara becomes or Dominique Daphne or whoever it is you're worried about, I don't think they're ever going to take the Robert Tunyon role as sort of quote-unquote tight end one. That's not their role in the offense, so they're never going to do that. 
But otherwise, no real notes from the tight ends aside from the Dominique Daphne catch from Rodgers. On the defensive side of the ball, we'll start with defensive tackle. Um, I think the real interesting thing is the starting defensive line was Reed, Clark, and not Lowry, but TJ Slayton. Now, I don't know how long before Lowry came back in, because the the next note here says Packers had Kenny Clark at three tech with Dean Lowry not practicing during the offseason. Lowry is back, and Clark has slid back inside with Jerron Reed at three and Lowry at five, meaning this person is saying that this is your starting defensive line now that Dean Lowry is back from, you know, a month ago or whatever when he was out. But apparently the first snaps of the defense had TJ Slayton out there for, now it could have been personnel, you know, whatever package they were in, I guess it depends. Obviously TJ Slayton is a much bigger nose tackle, so it's a bigger personnel as opposed to whatever you get with Lowry. So I don't really know, but still very interesting that the very first snap that they took, it's, it's TJ Slayton out there. It's a good vote of confidence for him. Also got a good note on him. But first, can nope, nope, nothing on Kenny Clark. That was the only note for, was he was, I guess Lowry is the only one, or Slayton is the only one. Slayton with a nice quick pressure inside, which I always love those notes because 900 times I've said stop expecting TJ Slayton to be a good pass rusher. And there's always 100 notes about him getting pressure on the inside. And it's like, oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> it happened last year too. It was all these notes about his pressure on the inside. And I was like, I'm going to catch so much crap for this. But let me let me give you a little predict- prediction. When the regular season comes, his pressure rate will not be all that impressive. Uh, really nothing off the edge at all. We had the one Rashawn Gary note, but otherwise nothing. I didn't hear anything about uh, Preston. I didn't hear anything about Kingsley, which I was really hoping to because there's no real competition for Kingsley right now. Everybody else, Randy Ramsey and uh, Jonathan Garvin are hurt. So I was hoping to be able to hear something, but apparently nothing really noteworthy from, from that group. And I know it's too early. They're not really doing anything super physical, but still, you got the Rashawn Gary note. Why can't I get a Kingsley note? I'm just saying. Uh, linebacker is obvious, but um, Quay and Dre are number one. There was the Ty Summers note where he punched out the ball and got the turnover, so that's obviously a thing. But otherwise, Quay Walker... Got a note that says Quay was some sideline to sideline juice to make the quote unquote tackle on Aaron Jones on the outside. And then uh, finally, I'm almost positive Quay just called the play for the defense would be a very early big step for him. And absolutely, that would be if that is the case. Be interesting to see if there's a follow up on that with the uh, the coaches or whatever to find out if that is the situation with Quay already calling plays. Enagbar. I was close. I was saying Enigbar. It's Enagbar. Got it. Thank you, JJ, by the way. He says I don't give him credit, but I, I think I do sometimes. Sent me a video of him saying his own name, so that's perfect. And Nagbar, and Nagbar, and Nagbar. Uh, cornerback sounds like it's staying Stokes and Jair as CB1 and 2 on the outside with Razul on the inside. Um, seems as though the media still is refusing to believe it, saying that Jair's probably going to go inside once in a while. I don't know. <laughs> They're just not going to let that go, but I'll take the W on that one. Additional uh, note on Jair, apparently this happened almost immediately in training camp, but it says Jair with a great pass breakup on an out route to Alan Lazard. Rogers' throw was great. Alexander's defense was better. Uh, Already mentioned the Stokes note on uh, Romeo Dobbs, great coverage down the field. The other one, Jawan Winfrey with a great grab deep down the right sideline from Rogers. Stokes was in tight coverage. So kind of a negative, but kind of not super negative note because it was tight, close coverage, I guess. Still can't let the guy catch it. Uh, Shamar Jean Charles was actually the next man up at cornerback when Jair took some time off, so that is worth noting. I mean, Razul is probably going to be that guy if, if you know, Jair or whoever goes down, and he was working with the second team, Razul was, but just so you know, 
Shamar is seemingly kind of next in line for those of you working out your 53-man rosters. Otherwise, nothing we haven't already talked about. Amos had that one pass caught on him. Ento had the two passes caught on him. Uh, special teams notes, Josh Myers and Tyler Davis were the wings on field goals. Wouldn't think we'd ever care about something like that, but there you go. Uh, Coco is getting first uh, first crack at long snapping, which is great because I want him to win because he's new and he's not the other guy that was bad. And then Quay Walker working with the punt protection unit, getting a little extra work after practice. So they're using Quay Walker on special teams, which is always exciting. Yes, concern about injury is there, but it's still nice to know that they're wanting to put that extra little effort into it. But anyways, that's all I got for Packers practice for day one. I do want to rip through a couple quick notes here. Um, We'll start off with, I guess, the Lions, because they're the least interesting. Had a quote from Dan Campbell, the head coach, essentially saying that, uh, well, I'll read you the quote. He says, I mean, we're counting on it. We got to have it. I mean, if they don't make a jump, we're in trouble. He's referencing second year players. Basically, he flat out said, if if the guys that we drafted last year, he went on to say, uh, those guys are kind of the core and our foundation. So last year when that regime came in, they drafted guys to be their core. And remember, they drafted offensive linemen, defensive linemen. Like this is this is the foundation we're going to build on. And he's saying, if, if those guys don't pan out, we're in kind of a lot of trouble. Uh, a lot of questions about Jeff Okuda. Um, he had a really, really bad first year. He was injured in his second year. The reports apparently are that he looked really good last year in camp, like he had taken a, a big step and a big turnaround, but he ended up getting injured. And um, so far, day one, he said he looks really good. He's in a good place, had a good workout. The, the, the words don't necessarily match up, though, with the workouts, because I was reading some of their training camp notes, and it sounds like he's rotating in as the number two corner, meaning it's kind of a competition between him and Amani Aroarie as that number two corner. So... Or no, no, I'm sorry. Amani, I, I believe, is the number one. He's rotating with somebody else, and it's it's a former safety, Will Harris, I think. So the fact that he's fighting to win the number two job over a former safety, it's not super great. It's not as though he's coming in and he's just tearing it up. But whatever, there's that. Um, some Minnesota Vikings notes, not a ton. Andrew Booth is actually looking real good. There were some reports earlier that he was coming in just... Um, you know, a lot of praise, a lot of this, that, and the other. And it's it's never really that interesting when you hear it, especially when it's just OTAs and whatnot. But apparently that has continued. Day one of training camp, um, he already has a pick on Kirk Cousins. And apparently it would have been a pick six if it was, you know, whatever. But, I mean, it is what it is. You know, the, the, the hype was that he's going to come in and contribute day one. He's looking great. He's looking sharp. And first day of practice, you got a pick six on, on Kirk Cousins. It's got to feel good if you're a Vikings fan. Perhaps it was just a bad throw from Kirk Cousins because Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, their uh, new GM, said that their quarterback sucks. <laughs> the, the Vikings fans are really mad because this was taken out of context. Apparently, I don't know, I'm refusing to go listen to it because I prefer this context. But he started the quote by saying, I'll be frank. And he says, the one asset where you get nervous about not burning it down is quarterback. Which actually is, is a, it's something we all kind of know but isn't really all that talked about. There's a lot of times you need to cut bait on a quarterback, but you just don't want to because it's so scary because there's no quicker way to go bottom of the NFL than by cutting your quarterback and not having a good plan B. Goes on to say, the general manager acknowledges that Cousins is a quote-unquote good quarterback, but Adolfo Mensa added that we don't have Tom Brady, we don't have Pat Mahomes. He goes on to say, the Super Bowl is more likely to win if you have that quarterback. It's very unlikely to have that quarterback. So, you know, context or not, 
Kirk Cousins has got to hate his life. I mean, the guy has been a really high-quality quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. He's ranked, like, top 10 via PFF for, like, what, three, four years or whatever. And, um, you know, Zimmer hated his guts. The team seems like they, the, the team doesn't seem to care for him a ton. And the new GM comes in and right away is like, yeah, he's fine. You know, we don't really have a top-tier guy, and I'll, I'll be honest. You're, and that, that's the thing. Why would you say, I'll be honest, I'm scared to burn it down? In other words, I would love to cut the guy, but I'm just, I'm, I'm too scared to go to that level right now. <laughs> Freaking Vikings, man, I swear. Speaking of saying really stupid things and putting your foot in your mouth, Justin Jefferson, who is a great negotiator, says that he's not really too fond of money. So, um, I'm sure the GM of the Minnesota Vikings is grinning ear to ear having heard that. Granted, I'm sure Justin Jefferson will be singing an entirely different tune when the time comes, but still, that's such a silly thing. Um, I, I think he's me- kind of meant it to be silly because they were asking him about his contract, and he's just like, I don't like money. It'd be like, <laughs> be like if your wife's and you and your wife are out to dinner, and your wife looks over at the next table and like she's pretty, per- she's kind of pretty, don't you think? And like I don't even like women. I'm not even. I don't even like. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Anyways, finally, we got some uh, Chicago Bears news. Roquan Smith was placed on uh, the pup list. Matt Eberflus says that he is dealing with an injury right now. Um, His expectations for Roquan that he mentioned to him, he says, stay involved, be a leader, be engaged, which he's doing and will do. He's a pro. He's been in the league very, uh, been in the league long enough. He's a really good player and we're excited to have him in Chicago and he'll do that. So sounds like, and again, there really wasn't any doubt, but it, it does sound like they're intending to pay him at some point. Uh, the Robert Quinn situation is really, really odd. Um, he says that he skipped mandatory minicamp because he wanted to take care of his body. And that the reporters just are not buying any of it. They kept pushing him, and Robert Quinn was getting real annoyed with the, the reporters. But um, the next note here says, Bears defensive end Robert Quinn says, skipping mandatory minicamp wasn't related to wanting a trade or anything else from the team. He, reiter- he reiterates he does not want out and prefers continuity. Basically, Quinn preferred paying $96,000 fine over coming in for minicamp. He was asked this. So you preferred basically paying hundred grand over coming into minicamp? And he said, yeah, pretty much. Robert Quinn said multiple times he does not want to bring any negative energy into the building, is focused on being a good teammate and playing in Chicago. The weird thing about it is it, it's, it's always sounded this whole time like Robert Quinn wanted out of Chicago. During this press conference, he made it very clear with several quotes, and this is, this is via a Bears reporter. He said, Robert Quinn sounds like a guy who doesn't want to be traded but expects to be eventually. And I read through some of the quotes. I didn't, I didn't put them down here because I had it on the laptop. I forgot to put it on my notes. But he basically was talking like, look, I'm, I'm going to do what I got to do, and I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I'm, I'm just going to show up, and I'm going to do what I have to do for myself. And it was just, it was very strange. Like, he, he fully anticipates being let go. He made reference to the new change in scheme, and he's like, look, I can play in this scheme, which, no duh. I mean, he's well known for being a guy that has been in 4-3 and 3-4 defenses. Maybe the concern is he can't handle the uh, 4-3 as well as he used to, or he's much better at 3-4, and so his production is going to plummet. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he has it in his head that he will not be with the team for very long. I haven't heard the Bears say that at all, but it's just, it's an odd situation. Uh, Eddie Jackson has been relegated to special teams. (laughs) I'm kind of kidding, but that was the only note on him as he was doing punt return work. Um, They have him actually as a punt returner, and it's like, well, maybe he'll find some use this season. And then the only other somewhat interesting note is uh, Tevin Jenkins, who is the guy that they traded up for in the second round. 
last year is still not working with the number ones. Um, still early, but he is he is currently running with the number twos. So that is a, I'm not going to say a disastrous situation because again, they went out and got two free agents, which should help shore up the situation a little bit. But these are short-term band-aids and you invested a lot, well, not you, the old regime, but still the Bears organization invested a lot in a in a tackle who is not playing. And the crazy thing is he can't win his job. Let me look at this other note real quick here. Um, this is this is their current offensive line. It says Larry Borum worked with the first team right tackle today while Braxton Jones was a left tackle. Larry Borum, if I'm not mistaken, was a fifth round pick last year. And I think Braxton Jones was a fifth or sixth round pick this year. A fifth or sixth round rookie is playing left tackle for the Chicago Bears over Tevin Jenkins who was considered a first-round pick last year, who the Bears traded up for in the second round. He can't win the job over a rookie, a late-round rookie. That's crazy. And in fact, they, they went out and got Riley Reef, as I said, because it's such a bad situation. The Bears are like, well, we can't have you know, a six-round rookie or whatever Braxton Jones was to, to start for us. I mean, that's kind of where we're at, but we got to bring someone in because that's not good enough. Not even considering Tevin would be that guy. It's just crazy to me. But uh, anyways, that's all I got, and we will be back for another one tomorrow. We got more training cap stuff going on, so I will be right here to give you all the breakdowns. And again, feel free to call in 608-501-0718. Let me know your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. You guys have yourselves a great day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.